Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm Jeff Ross. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And uh, I uh, recently changed roles. So I, I now work with congregational care. So uh, folks that are in assisted living places or in the hospital or just going through uh, things, I help uh, coordinate and, uh, a lot of the uh, opportunities that we have and the people that we have, a big team of folks that uh, go out during the week and care for folks, Stephen ministers, uh, congregational care ministers, uh, pet ministry, uh, different things that we have to kind of uh, help. So if you know of somebody that uh, needs some help or that we could be visiting, uh, please let me know. We want to make sure that folks within the church and our extended family are, are connected. So um, this morning, I want us to look at the story of Moses, uh, specifically around his birth and uh, getting started. And so our scripture reading, we're really going to kind of take a look at the first and second chapter of Exodus, but that's a, a long passage. So for this time, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. And it says there, then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw a basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. And she opened it and saw the baby. And he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, and that's Moses' sister, who was kind of lurking on the sideline, will talk a little bit about that more. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. May God's blessing be upon this reading and our scripture and our time together today as, as uh, we look at this story. Uh, so uh, kind of an introduction to where I'm going, I want to show you a little uh, video clip. Okay, now that that song is stuck in your head, uh, just keep swimming. So that's pretty good theology. Uh, and we're going to kind of take a look at that today as kind of a, a way forward during um, kind of difficult or hard times. So our story starts in a really dark time in uh, Israel's history. Um, Exodus chapter 1 opens up with a really haunting image. In verse 6, it says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. 
But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. Verse 8 says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. So, a, t- a tough time. If you remember this, this story, uh, Genesis is full of this uh, traveling uh, from Abraham to uh, uh, going through the desert to settling down to uh, a great famine, and uh, Joseph sort of rescues his family and all the Israelites, brings them to Egypt. They live there, they prosper. They, uh, uh, because of Joseph, they have the, the ear of the king, and they are living uh, well. Uh, and so, uh, but Genesis closes down, and Exodus is a whole new story. And I don't know. Maybe in your life, uh, there's been a time like that. Maybe you're in a time like that where uh, not too long ago, things were going great. Uh, everything seemed to be good. Everything was falling together just like you hoped it would, or maybe even exceeding expectations. But then something happened. And now things aren't as clear. They're a little cloudy. They're a little confusing. They're a little chaotic. You're not sure when this season's going to end and you're going to get back to a, a better place. Um, or maybe you've been there in the past and now have come out of that and things are, are going well. But good theology is sometimes it's just a matter of staying afloat, just continuing to swim, even if you're not really sure where, where you're going to go with all of that. So I want us to kind of look at this uh, especially chapter 2, the verses right before what we, what we read, because there's a couple of key things that take place and a couple of key uh, people. Uh, so Moses' parents, um, Moses, Moses' sister, and Pharaoh's daughter, are, they all come together in the first 10 or so verses of this second chapter, uh, to play an important role. And, and one of the things to notice in this is that there's not a plan. Um, all through the Bible, you read stories of people who, uh, well, for ex- example, in uh, Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, the angel comes to Mary, if you remember, and says all of these things that are about to happen to her uh, in giving birth to uh, Jesus. And uh, that whole story. And then the angel leaves and all the things the angel said was going to happen, happen and take place and, and uh, is all fulfilled. And so there's a, a sense of God's guidance and direction and uh, ushering in this, this thing. And that happens a number of times uh, in the Bible. But in this story, there's nothing like that at all. There's nothing like that. So the Israelites are... Uh, slaves in Egypt. Uh, There's a kind of bounty put out over uh, male children. Um, And and folks are just trying to really just keep swimming. They're trying to figure out what to do. And and they're waiting for some sort of deliverance. They're waiting for a word. They're waiting. They're looking. They're hoping. Uh, But there's not a real plan. There's not an angel that comes out and says, okay, Moses' parents, you're going to give birth to this child. And here's what you're going to do. And here's how he's going to be rescued. And then here's what's going to happen to him uh, over a number of years. Uh, It's not like that at all. And so 
without a plan, people just sort of live and react. Um, and, and sometimes we find ourselves like that, right? Uh, we're looking for a plan. We're, we're praying. We're asking God for direction and guidance and, you know, what to do. Uh, but sometimes there's not a clear next step. Ooh, so we just do our best. Uh, with the information and the things we have. And so that's what I want us to look at and kind of walk through uh, the very beginning of this second chapter. Moses' parents um, uh, already have a daughter because we're going to be introduced to her in a second. Uh, and she's obviously a little bit older than Moses. And so they have a daughter and then they have this second child. And they know that the situation that they're in is bad for male children uh, the Pharaoh has put out an edict. The Israelites are growing too fast, so all the children under male children under two are are, are supposed to be killed. And so, um, the parents have Moses. He's a boy. So what do you do? And uh, and and this is uh, clear from even just this little piece of the passage that they're not really sure what to do, right? They keep Moses until he's three months old, and then they know at that point it says that they can't keep him any longer because he's big and he's making noise and somebody's going to notice. And so the question is, what do you do with this child? And it's not just Moses' parents' question, but it's other parents' Well, how do you protect this child? What do you do? And it, it creates this dilemma, right? And all of us that are parents, have been parents, are going to be parents, have the same dilemma, the same struggle. What's best for the child? Because in raising children, there's always the dilemma of what's best for the child and what's best for me. What do I want for this child? What do I want this child to do for me? What are my expectations for this child? How can I groom and lead and direct this child in the way that I think is best versus what's best for the child? Who did God create this child to be? And how can I, as a parent, help this child become what they can be, not what I want them to be? And so for Moses' parents... The question, the dilemma might have been, well, we're just going to hang on to this child as long as we can, uh, hoping that whenever they come to get him, we can protect him or plead with him or something like that. But that's not what's best for the child because that's not going to go well for the child. The edict has already been out there. And so Moses' parents, thankfully, do what's best for Moses even though it's a tremendous risk, they put him in God's hands, put him in a basket, put him in the water. Moses floats down the Nile. And so, obviously, lots of things could go wrong with that, uh, but lots of things were going to go wrong if they held on to him. It's a horrible dilemma, a horrible place to be. But what do we do when we don't have a plan? We don't know what to do. We keep swimming. We keep trying to figure it out. And a lot of times it's figuring it out as we go with the best information that we have at the time. And so then an interesting thing takes place. I'm, I'm fascinated with this part of the story. Verse 4, it says that his sister, Moses' sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. 
you know, that's all that we have. We have in just a, a couple of seconds in verse 7, there's going to be more about the sister. But right now, this is all the information that we have. So it's a lot of speculation. But I had fun kind of playing with this this week. So when I came up with some questions, did anybody ask her to do that? She's old enough to have experienced, seen, noticed, um, and kudos to her for noticing, being aware, uh, living outside of just her little self and her little world, that her parents are just distraught over what to do with Moses. They have this little boy child. What are they going to do? He's three months old. She's had to have heard them talking. What are we going to do with Moses? How do we protect him? What's the best thing? What's the right thing? What do we do? It's, so to me, it's, it's pretty clear she's been listening, and she's struggling right along with her parents with, oh my gosh, what, what are they going to do? What's going to happen? Um, she's the big sister. She has an investment in this too. So did anyone ask her to go kind of walk down the Nile as he's floating away? Did anybody ask her to do that? Hey, will you go keep an eye on him? Or did she just do that on her own? Not really sure. I, I, I'm not even sure how old she is. She's seven? She eight years old? Ten years old? She's not much more than that. So where did, where did she get all this wisdom and, and all of this protection and all of this uh, intuitiveness about doing something? And, you know, in the world today, we stand around a lot and watch and go, oh, that's too bad. Oh, that stinks. Oh, that sucks. Gosh, sad for them. As opposed to doing something, actually doing something when we see something that isn't the way that it ought to be. So she sees her parents struggling. They put Moses in the water, and she kind of walks down the, the edge of the water. Um, she wasn't playing with her friends that day. Uh, she wasn't out doing stuff for herself. She wasn't focused on herself. She's actually paying attention uh, to what's going on with little baby brother. And so in verse 7, it says that she sees what happens. The, the Moses floats down the water. She, uh, gets, he gets intercepted, the basket does, by one of Pharaoh's daughter's servants. Uh, the servant picks it up, takes it to uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And um, Moses' sister pipes up and goes, Shall, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him? Now, was that part of the plan? Uh, again, is she seven, eight years old? She come up with this all by herself? She's looking after her mom. She's got this idea. They pick her up. I'll go get my mom and my mom can nurse her so my mom can stay attached to Moses? I mean, that's a brilliant plan. But it, it, the story doesn't say that an angel came to Moses' family and said, here's what you're going to do. There's none of that. This is all just kind of happening. And so in, in a lot of times in our lives, stuff just happens, right? 
Uh, we're in the right place at the right time. We think of something. Uh, we want to say, well, you know, God gave me that image or uh, something, but this is brilliant on her part. Does her mom know that she's done this? And so the uh, Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, that's a good idea. We read that. Go, go get somebody. And so she goes and gets her mom. I wonder what that conversation was like. Hey, mom, who maybe mom had started walking back to the house. Hey, mom, wait a second. Guess what? I mean, that's an incredible story um, that's taken place right in front of everybody's uh, eyes. Um, incredible that this is working out this way. So again, so much of this, though, is... Is it scripted? Was it all worked out? Was it a plan? Um, and then Pharaoh's daughter has a big role in this too. Um, here's Pharaoh's daughter. Um, even Pharaoh's daughter doesn't have some of the uh, opportunities that uh, Pharaoh's son is going to have. Um, and so is she being groomed to stay in her place, stay in her lane, do what she's supposed to do? She obviously has a little bit of a mind of her own and a rebellious streak uh, because she knows what she ought to do with this child. The, the attendant says it's a Hebrew child, so she knows exactly what she ought to do. She ought to turn this child in. This is a Hebrew child. It's a boy. She ought to turn it in, but that's not what she does. And so is this a uh, selfless act? Um, or is this a selfish act? Does she want a child and we don't know what's going on in her life and her dad and everybody else and whether she can have a child or what's going on, what's taking place? Um, so we don't know if this is a selfish thing. She wants this child. We don't know how old she is and what's going on in her head. But is this a selfish thing or a selfless thing? We don't know. But we do know that all these folks are just swimming. And God is somehow using this, working this. Um, so all of this sort of begs a question, doesn't it? Where exactly is God in this? Which is a great question for you and me, too, right? Where is God? You've got a decision. You're struggling with something. Things are uh, happening in family, work, uh, relationships, uh, future decisions. Uh, what's coming up? What's going to happen? Where am I going? What am I doing? Where is God? Is this something God cares about? Is this just one of those things? Ah, just, you know, do something. It's not that big a deal. Is this, or it is, is, is it a big deal? Is this something that's really pivotal in your life? Is this important? And where's God in the middle of this? And how do you find out exactly what God wants you to do, especially when it's just not all that clear? And so we, we keep swimming. Um, So again, this is a pretty rough time in Israel's history. They've enjoyed this great prosperity. 
And if you go back into Genesis very far at all, God's just all over the place. God's guiding them. God's leading them through the desert. God's orchestrating events. God's uh, splitting the, the, the river and uh, helping the Israelites run to safety. And then now they're enslaved in Egypt for 500 years. So where is God and where is God leading and speaking to them? Where's God leading and speaking in our life? And again, how do we access that? And so one of the questions that, that came up to me as I was looking at this is, is God at work here in this story, um, just this little piece, is God at work here or is the best of us working here which means that God is working here. And, and what I mean by that is there's a darkness over this land. But in this story, there's a light. People are trying to do the right thing. Uh, Moses' sister is not so self-absorbed that she doesn't notice what's going on in her family and is not unwilling to help and to get involved. There's a light that's shining in the midst of this darkness. And is the light that's shining in the midst of the darkness somehow the process by which things change and take shape? Out of the environment of fighting to survive, there always comes a, a bit of light to help things survive. And it, it sometimes takes a while. But if there's nobody fighting and there's nobody struggling, there's nobody praying, things tend to stay the way they are. But when people begin to fight, begin to look at things differently, begin to say, this is enough. Uh, when people begin to get uncomfortable with the way things are going, a light begins to grow and develop. And out of that uh, community effort, something begins to change. And it's not always just this person or that person, but this person or that person grows out of the whole uh, wealth of light that's coming from a, a large number of people. There's only a handful of people in the Bible that do anything. I don't want to say that badly. Don't, don't, don't hear it that way. There's, but there, you read through the whole Bible, there's only a handful of characters. If you really worked hard, you'd probably name everybody in the Bible. And that represents millions of people. And the same, the same with history. Abraham, Daniel, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Ruth, Mary, all do incredible things. But the things they do... Or a, they're a part of a larger community that have the same frustration, hurt, the same prayers, the same hopes, the same dreams, the same desire to see things differently than they do. They're the face of what happens. They're the ones that God puts this word in, but it, they're part of a larger community. And sometimes we forget that. We say, wow, gosh, I'm not Abraham, or I'm not Daniel, or I'm not Moses, or I'm not any of those people. But they re represent thousands of people fighting to survive. People who are trying to find a way. People who are trying 
to live by faith, people who care for each other, people who think of the other before themselves, people who are awake to the world. Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks are recognizable faces of a much larger struggle. They happen to get a lot of the press, but the pain and the struggle and the battle and the anger and the fear and all that was taking place in that time uh, was in part giving their voice the voice they had. Moses will be the face of this movement, but he's just a baby And the song is already being sung long before Moses has even been born. John Wesley, Gandhi, Mother Teresa. Maybe we aren't the face of any cause, but there are things that are going on that we notice and we want to change. And we can add our voice to that cry. We can add our prayers to that call. We can add our hands to that work. You know, Moses' parents had to decide what's best for Moses and what's best for me. And there's a big struggle for that in lots of areas of our lives. What's best for me, but what's best for my kids, my spouse, my family, my church, my community, my nation, my world. Here's what I want, but here's what ought to be. Because it's not all about what we just want. Moses' sister paid attention. She read the room. Uh, It's an incredible story, especially if this 7, 8, 9, 10, 12-year-old girl did all of this herself. That's amazing. Hey, mom, come back. Guess what? She wasn't absorbed with her own wants, needs, hopes. And that's a lot to say for somebody that young. On this day, at least, she was aware of something bigger than herself. And that's certainly worth noting. And then Pharaoh's daughter She's in a position of power and leadership, might not be the most powerful person, might not be the most influential person, but she did have power. She did have influence in that setting and that scene that day. And she acted on what was the right thing to do. Edmund Burke was a member of Parliament. And he said, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is for good people to do nothing. And I think that's part of the challenge that we have today, right? We all live in a world, we've got our own stuff, we've got our stuff. But there's a much bigger world, there's a lot going on. And to live life with... Out blinders, noticing, paying attention, being aware, reading the room, seeing what's going on. We might not be the face of some great movement, but all great movements, all change, anything that ever happens that's significant, happens not because just one person stands up. It's 
because collectively people have been working together to bring a light to something that needs our attention. And so, as Moses grows, he has more challenges and, and more people in his life. Um, and uh, that story is, has become um, pretty famous. Um, in our day, in our time, I, you know, I, uh, I've always loved the idea that uh, when people say, oh, gosh, the struggles and battles of our day and our time, they're a lot. They're more than what uh, uh, other folks have had to deal with. And I always kind of take that as a compliment. Because I think in every generation, every time, whatever struggles there are, God has put people together, uh, oftentimes in the church, to face the challenges of that time. And so if the challenges are great, then uh, God has a great confidence in this room and in us to be able to face the challenges of our day because God has given us the ability to stand up, to stand out, to speak up, to speak out, and to be a light in the world around us. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this story. It, uh, it creates a lot of questions in our minds and hearts about exactly who did what and how they did what they did. But they kept swimming. They kept struggling to be the best they could be, to do the right thing, and to care for their family, and to care for their community. And we ask, God, that you would guide us in the ways that you've called each of us um, to be aware, to keep our eyes open, to keep our ears open, to pay attention to the world around us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.